Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. Uh, I'm really excited to have our guest on for today's show. He's Eric Miller out of Florida, and he's a wealth for practice owners. And he's going to talk about the financial industry, financial planning, retirement. He's um, He has over 20 years experience published countless articles, videos, got a YouTube channel. He's also published a book as well, How to Become a Financial Beast, which you can find on Amazon. And I'm happy to welcome Eric to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Christopher. Pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah, we had connected. And uh, so tell people your, you know, briefly, two to three minutes, your story, how you got to do be where you are, and we'll jump into it. Simple. I I, I loved being in the financial industry uh, started out as like a financial planner. Like, I don't know what most people experience with financial advisors is, is usually, Hey, how much money do you have to invest so we can charge you a fee for it? <laughs> and, uh, I, I realized early on, I didn't really want to just do that. Uh, I had a healthcare background. Um, my family is in healthcare. I saw how very underserved a lot of healthcare, um, uh, practitioners were, uh, when it came to financial education, they're really good at being practitioners, not so much on the finance side. So I was like, well, that's what I want to do because this isn't, this is an area where they need a lot of help and you know, the better off they are financially, the more they can help patients. And I think it's a win-win for everybody. So that's what we geared our, our practice around is helping healthcare owners, um, really harness the power of their practice, build wealth and, and make sure they go out at the top of their game. Uh, yeah, interesting. And uh, yeah, I lo- so I love um, people that come from a financial services or financial advisor background, but they have a different slant on it as opposed yeah. to just the fees. So um, <laughs> um, the uh, one one question is, you know, a lot of the audiences uh, do- are doctors. So you talk about, you know, your private practice is not a job. Why you need to treat your practice like a long term business investment? Tell us more yeah. about that. I mean, it's, if you really look at the, uh, you know, let's, let's take a a doctor in his household, you know, what is the biggest investment that they have? Well, you know, until they start building, you know, their real estate portfolio or their other investments, it is their business. It is the main generator of cash flow, And so it needs to be treated like a business, like anything else. And too many of them just treat it like a job. It's a nine to five. I go in work and that's it. And, uh, you know, maybe you could do that 20 years ago, but there is so much money pouring into healthcare. 
and so many like and private equity is is pouring into healthcare that these businesses now these healthcare businesses which were maybe worth 70% of revenue 20 years ago not anymore i mean now they can be worth you know i've had clients that have sold their their uh their practices for 15 18 times net earnings so they have a significant amount of value so treat it like an investment not a job yeah, we'll talk about the uh which I was gonna you actually brought up a point, this idea of private equity coming in. I've also I've started recently reading the book Plunder, talking about how it's, you know, um and then also how you know, healthcare it's transitioning to a W two employee. Like you know, a lot of um systems are gobbling up, you know, smaller systems, you know, this uh, you know, the independent practice is kind of not going to be around in the future, which is what I I predict. But um, yeah. one thing is uh, talking about. You say, "Will you work forever? Become practice owner independent." What What is yeah. that? Well, look. I mean, I think most people when they go to school, especially to medical school, you learn how to be a practitioner, but they never taught you how to be like an owner of a business. They never taught you what those skills are. They never taught you the executive skills to run a business. And to me, those are the most important things that you really need to know in order to build a, a business that has value where it's not just dependent upon you. Like you actually build something that can sustain itself without you having to be there. And you know, the, the magical word of every owner is the, the having the ability to let go of doing certain things and you may not like it, but you, once you are able to do that, then you have something that has a significant amount of value when you decide to sell it. So that's what we talk about building an owner independent practice. Mm, I love that. And then talking about, you know, basically insulating from different events such as COVID, um, you know, yeah. lawsuits, downturn. You talk about the exact steps you need to bounce back from a revenue downturn, preventing and salvaging a cash flow crunch. Yeah. So I, I don't know any business owner that at some point in time hasn't had those moments like, oh my God, how are we going to cover payroll or how are we going to cover, you know, rent or whatever it is. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, years of working with practice owners, we kind of looked at it and said, what are the, what are maybe the, the six or seven steps that you can take to get the organization back to where it is solvent again? And, you know, I'll, I'll go through a couple of them. And the first one is the easiest one, because if you have an organization that's experiencing cash flow problems, it's probably pretty likely that the entire organization has lost its purpose, right? Because purpose is really what drives someone to do something. Um, a paycheck, yes, but that's lower on the motivation scale. Having a purpose is really, really is much higher. So I tell all owners, you know, make sure everyone knows what the purpose of the organization is, whatever it is, you know, whatever what kind of practitioner you are, make sure everybody is on board, make sure everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing and just get back to, you know, doing the, the usual functions that made you profitable at one point in time. And, you know, there's probably four or five other steps that, that we go through, making sure that you're operating on the right numbers, making sure that you understand like what services you should be pushing and promoting, um, you know, that are, that will allow you to have, you know, higher profit margins. Um, so there's, there's a number of things that, that you can do. And, and probably most importantly, getting rid of people that are not contributing to the organization. Like if you want to, 
the the one of the most incredible miracles of any business is the day that you get rid of that toxic person in your organization like i've seen income go up 20 30 percent overnight just by getting rid of that one person that's kind of holding everything down hmm. yeah fascinating yeah. and then you um the other question i had was um what is the true make or break number of your business what is it and why most people are underestimating it by 20 to 25 percent yeah that's probably the most fun one that's the that's the area that we that we tend to see so look uh when i say make break number i may maybe you have a different definition but most healthcare owners think well that's just the minimum amount i need to bring in just to kind of cover my payroll cover my overhead and maybe take a little bit for me just a little bit, just enough. That's not your make break number. You have to be able to say, you know, how, what is the amount the business needs to bring in for not only the business to function, but to expand and not only for the business to expand, but for your household to expand as well. Right. Because you don't want to be dependent on the business for the rest of your life. And, you know, I think you, you you didn't do that, right? You want to create other income sources. How the heck are you going to do that? Well, what you have to do is make sure that what that business needs to make, you include the payment to yourself so that you can start using business profits to create other income sources, whether it's in real estate, whether it's other business ventures, whether you know if you're a traditional stock and bond guy or whatever it is, okay? Um, but you have to have a system set up that can capture the cash flow. Otherwise, the business will consume every dollar that it makes and then some if you let it. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about there. So when when we look at like the when we look at most people's make break number, they're it's about 20 to 30 percent less than what it actually should be. I love that. Um the other question is, you know, basically maximize the value of your practice and how are you tapping into lesser known ways of maximizing that value? So you got to look at what a buyer would want. Is a buyer going to give you top dollar for something where they have to go in and fix everything and the profit's really low and there's hardly any new patients coming in the door. Everyone's kind of running around, you know, with no direction, no job description, or are they going to pay you double for something where you know, you have multiple practitioners that are doing the work. You have key executives that are managing it. You're profitable. You have systems set up to make sure functions are getting done. That's what I'm talking about when in building a, a practice that is is operating like a business or a company and not just a job. But those are some of the things that, you know, I really try to, you know, imbue into practice owners is to like start thinking about these things and you'll have something of significant value. It may take a while to do. I mean, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. But once you get them in, they're in. And it's beautiful after that. Yeah. Very fascinating discussion. The other, you know, question, you know, comes around just we'll move into just financial planning. But, you know, um, I've always been curious, you know, financial freedom is basically when your passive income meets your expenses. But I'm curious to hear your take on how does someone know they have reached financial freedom? So it's, it's interesting that you should say that because if I, I do this at every like seminar that I would do is like, hey, what's your definition of financial freedom, right? 
And someone will say that it's like, well, my passive income exceeds my, my, my expenses. And that's definitely part of it, I would say. But I would probably say that um, if you want to look at a complete definition of financial freedom, it would be one where number one, your, your household does have an abundance of income coming in from multiple sources. You would be in a condition where you're free of all destructive debt, not all debt, but destructive debt. Your business would be profitable sustainable and transferable. Your assets would be protected from taxes, inflation, and lawsuits. Because what's good is it to have a ton of passive income if one lawsuit can take away everything else. And you have time to pursue whatever life goals that you have. So that to me kind of encapsulates everything that your, your condition should look like. Obviously, the passive income coming in to pay for everything is important, but I don't think you can neglect, you know, the other things as well. And that, to me, that's kind of a, a, a complete definition of financial independence. Yeah, I love that. And um, what uh, what you what typically stands in the way of someone achieving their financial goals? Well, number one, just knowing what they are, and you know, I. I I take it you were a guy that knew exactly what it is that you needed, right? And you knew your numbers of what it was going to take to get there. Well, most people don't know that. They don't know their numbers. They they treat, I don't know if you have kids or not, but if you ever take a, a child to like the mall and you take your attention off them for like two seconds, you have no idea where they're going to go. <laughs> and that unfortunately happens to a lot of healthcare owners when it comes to their money. They don't pay attention to it. They... Um, just let someone else, oh, my accountant handles that or my bookkeeper handles that, right? And they lose control of it and then it goes everywhere. So you really have to be able to control the money and not that I want everyone to be like a expert in advanced gap accounting. You don't need to do that. You don't need to like know exactly all the ins and outs of the balance sheets and the profit and loss statements. You just have to have some awareness of the importance of them, right? And, and knowing where the money is going. Like when a dollar comes into your organization or your household, you should know where 98% of it's going. I mean, these all seem pretty simple, but you know, why is it that most physicians, while they make a lot of money, they don't have much left over to do anything with. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's shocking. I was like, I was looking at these statistics and um, over like, is talking about doctors that retire in their seventies or eighties and yeah. they have like a, you know, they made maybe at least, you know, two fifty K a year, you know, bought, you know, at least. And then by their seventies or eighties and they're ready to retire, they have like 1 million to 5 million. That's like, that's crazy. You know, you know, you should be, you know, higher than that if you're, you know, doing things correctly. So. Yeah. You, it, it just, you know, the lifestyle burns a lot of it. That's for sure. Acquisition of bad debt paying, you know, it, it certainly burns a lot of it as well. And mm -hmm. then just malinvestment, you know, I think, you know, look, the last 25, 30 years, you know, putting money in, in the public securities and in those kinds of markets probably worked out really, really well for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's going to be the case going in the next 25, 30 years, because we're going to be in a different interest rate environment. We're going to be in just in a different environment in, in general. doesn't mean that's not a place to, to invest, but you have to be able to that my industry is almost a hundred percent put money in public securities, stocks, bonds, those kinds of things, mutual funds, ETFs. And I just think you have to be a little bit more open-minded as far as where you're allocating money and making sure that that's not, you know, a huge percentage of your overall net worth. Mm. You know, it's okay to invest in those areas. I still think that they're relevant, but maybe not 
what most people are doing right now. Yeah. You know, which is just putting all their money in their profit sharing or their 401ks or their defined cash balance plans or whatever they are. Mm, you know, it's very, um, and that's, that's really one of the reasons why I created this podcast and have guests such as <clears throat> you come onto the show, kind of enlightened doctors, you know, they're kind of narrow minded and you yeah, know, they have to really wake up and smell the coffee. So one thing that is really interesting is one of the <clears throat> disturbing healthcare trends is buy-up of physician practices independent by private equity. And you see like hospital mergers and mm-hmm. essentially everything is merging into this W2. And so how do you factor this in when you work as a financial advisor to practice owners? And how does this translate to changing your strategy? You mean like someone that sells their practice or gets acquired and just becomes a W2 employee at that point in time? Yeah. So a lot of physicians, like, for example, if they're like private practice, independent practice, would you recommend them to start, you know, building out, start looking for the exit doors, building their income streams, getting out, selling it, or like kind of transitioning into this W-2 and that, but they have like side gigs and they're, you know, kind of like financially independent. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess it all depends. I like when practice owners continue to own their business. I, I really wish more of them would do that. I mean, I look, I mean, big guys buying small people has been going around since, you know, the the beginning of time, right? I mean, that's just kind of a natural thing that happens, right? You're always going to have the big guys gobble up the smaller the smaller people. So, you know, it's it's okay if you decide to do that. Like if you're just not entrepreneurial, think that you could really run a business very well, then maybe you should just be a W2 person. And somebody like that, I'm like, well, and well, if you're going to do it, you know, do it well and really make a lot of money and then make sure you're probably saving about 40% of what you make Mm -hmm. so that you can build other income sources. I mean, you really have to kind of look at it from that order of magnitude. So if you're making, you know, a half a million dollars a year, then I'm saving 200,000. I'm living on the rest, you know, and if you do that for, seven to 10 years and you invest pretty wisely, I, there's no reason why you couldn't have, you know, you know, ton of income, passive income to be able to do that. So it's just getting people to do that is really, really hard. And, you know, 500,000 doesn't go as far as what it did 25 years ago. It, it is one of those things that you have to be able to like, just recognize that inflation is um, making us all poor. And, you know, as far as, inflation is concerned, you know, I mean, you can all own all the gold in the world, all the Bitcoin in the world, you know, all those things, you know, inflation is, is, you know, I think the best hedge against inflation is just making sure that you have plenty of income that exceeds what your expenses are. Okay. And, you know, because like, I, you know, I, I get asked this question all the time. Like, do you think Bill Gates cares if the price of milk goes from $4 a gallon to $8 a gallon? It it's an inconvenience right? It's not going to affect his lifestyle. Yeah. What a fascinating discussion. And um, just talking about, um, you know, you know, financial planning, different environment, different goals and different strategies. How can people, how can people check you out, follow you, check out your website, check out your book, et cetera. Yeah, they can definitely go for wealth. I'm wealth for, and that will take them to, you know, website. Uh, they can go to Amazon and buy the book, how to become a financial beast. Uh, that those would be the two places that they can go to connect with us. Excellent. And, uh, for all the audience out there, let's thank 
Um, Eric, for coming on to the show, uh, really enlightening, especially this uh, idea is how does someone know when they reach financial freedom is more encompassing and um, just talking about different ways of um, hedging yourself in today's environment. So thanks so much. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, appreciate what you do. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I hope you really enjoyed that wonderful inspirational motivational piece again if you wherever you are listening if you liked it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere spotify itunes google amazon audible and without much ado be sure to thank this show's sponsors and we'll see you next